This is NBA Sound System Live, featured on NBA.com sites around the world and archived on the NBA Sound System podcast feed, where you get your podcasts by searching NBA Sound System. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, each with the handle at NBA Sound System, or visit us at NBASoundSystem.com for more. Now, to the host for this edition of NBA Sound System Live, Carlin Gay and Micah Adams. Back we are in our normal spot, 3 p.m. Eastern time on a Tuesday. It's L-I-V-E Live. It's Carlin Gates, Mike Adams. Micah, I'm, I'm actually pleasantly surprised that you're here and you haven't emailed and said that you are pulling out of our podcast until next season. Well, I, I am pulling out of the podcast because I'm, I'm actually going to be starting at shooting guard for the Washington Wizards here. Uh, <laughs> they need you. <laughs> they, they might need you. They might need somebody. Uh, they have dealt their their roster and their playoff chances really has been dealt another blow as we found out today. Officially, Bradley Beal is not making the trip to Washington, so that means their leading scorer Bradley Beal not going, and also means their second leading scorer Davis Bertans, who already pulled out weeks ago, isn't going to be in Washington. So it's all about Ish Smith, isn't it? I don't know what it's all about. I got a, a lot of a lot of burn for a boy Rui Hachimura down there. Look, man, the uh, the Wizards' depth chart right now is is truly a sight to behold because I don't know what a lineup of Shabazz Napier, Troy Brown, Jerome Robinson, Rui, and Thomas Bryant does for you, but I know what it doesn't do, which is make up five and a half games uh, to climb back into eighth in the East. Yeah, it's 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 probably going to be it was it was already going to be a tough task for the Wizards to get into the playoffs, even if Bradley Beal played. Uh, I think 538 gave him about a 9% chance of making the playoffs with Bradley Beal. Without Bradley Beal, we could just go ahead and say, you know, what, what 0.9% chance now at this point? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, can it be less than, I don't know. I don't think it can be less than zero. I, I won't do that. Crazier things have happened uh, involving uh, Washington. But I, I do think, like, it is interesting, though, when you kind of zoom out beyond just the Wizards because like ultimately in the grand scheme of things it doesn't really matter whether or not they would have made the playoffs because they would have just been fodder for the Milwaukee Bucks anyway but you look at the the kind of the downstream effects here uh specifically as it relates to races involving teams that have to play Washington already they were one of the easier kind of games that was that that anyone would have scheduled among their eight seeding games but you look at now like if boston on the last day of the seeding games is right there hanging with toronto uh to make the to to potentially make a run at the two seed they boston now gets to play washington last or you look at a team like new orleans who already had the nba's easiest schedule among all the 22 teams in the reseeding games New Orleans has Washington in the middle there too. So uh, there there are situations here where Bradley Beal is in, not being there for the Wizards has a, a much bigger ripple effect beyond just whoever the heck is going to score uh, for, for the Wizards. Yeah, and I think it actually has a bigger ripple effect to the Western Conference than it does out East, surprisingly. And even though the Wizards are only going to play uh, three Western Conference teams in the next eight games, the Suns, the Pelicans, and the Thunder, you can pretty much just chalk up wins there. No disrespect to the Wizards, and but all disrespect to the Wizards. They're not winning those <laughs> games. And I and I wouldn't be so I wouldn't be shocked if they go 0-8 here uh in, in, in Orlando. So 
Um, you know, unless Milwaukee really mails it in, that's the only win I could really see them getting. The Suns have a have a layup here in the first game, uh, where you know their chances are also very slim. But it, it's an it's it's basically a preseason game for them because the Wizards aren't going to be at full strength, and they'll have the ability to kind of get their you know th- themselves in shape and and back in basketball shape with an easy one there. And then by the time they play the Pelicans, well, the Pelicans will know what they're playing for at that point, whether they're playing for flat out getting in and not having to go into that playing game, or just just working out a way where they guarantee themselves a playing game at the very least because they'll only have two games after that yeah i no i i totally agree i i think that uh that that's that's i, I think the team that's impacted the most by all of this uh somehow potentially even more uh than the wizards themselves so i just man i don't know it, it seemed like from from the very beginning when it was announced that we were having 22 teams come to orlando and you saw that washington was included in that group it didn't feel right at the moment it feels even worse now and we're, we're just going to be in a situation now where the, the wizards are just going to be tr- trucking random guys out there to just play eight eight i don't want to say meaningless games because they're not meaningless uh but just i don't know that the competitive disadvantages uh, already at play here. We haven't even gotten down to Orlando yet. Uh, are just they're 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 more striking than ever. No doubt about it. Uh, on the other side, um, as there's another you know former All Star uh, shooting guard that pulled out of Orlando, and that happened after we recorded last week, where Victor Oladipo officially decided not to attend uh, the you know the the Pacers' chances of of uh, you know. Um, winning a championship this season because they've already locked in the playoff spot. They're going to be in the playoffs. So this eight-game schedule for them is more of a seeding sort of situation. But without Victor Oladipo, how much does that truly hurt the Pacers? Because they've pretty much been without him the entire season. I got to be honest. I don't actually think it changes a whole lot. I I think that they were already – now, is there a world in which Oladipo would have used this time off to come back and – Reemerge as the All NBA caliber player that he was two years ago. Uh, in which case, that completely changes everything for Indiana. Like I guess, but I think that that was such a long shot to happen anyway. And as you said, they were kind of I, with, with the exception of a few fleeting moments. Uh, this is a Pacers team that really has their record and everything they've done essentially without Oladipo being Oladipo uh, for this season. Certainly after he he returned from his injury. Uh, in the winter. So I don't think it really changes that much for them. I do think where it could uh, have an impact now is is all of a sudden now the, the 76ers look like a very strong bet to finish kind of in that 4-5 round, which of course then potentially sets up a colossal second round matchup uh, with the Bucks. Should they get through Miami or Indiana or whoever it is that, that, that they're going to face in the first round there? This actually, uh, you know, I'm slightly concerned here. Uh, Not for the Pacers' chances of winning a championship, because I don't think whether or not Victor Oladipo was there uh, this season, that would have happened. But, you know, before the break, Oladipo had 13 games under his belt. He he started 10 of them, and he looked awful by his standards. He looked awful by his standards. You know, shooting under 40% from the field, just above 30% from three. He's averaging 13.4, or 13.8, rather, points per game. That's not Victor Oladipo numbers from the last two seasons where he was an all-star. But to have this time off, 
and to to play a couple games under his belt to kind of see where he was and how he was feeling and to have this entire pretty much an off season off and for him to come to the realization that he still is not ready after that injury, that scares me a little bit that we might not get Victor Oladipo back to what he once was. And and you know me, I'm always on the size of po- the, the positivity side. I'm always the glass half full kind of guy, especially with injuries. I, I'm now looking at this as glass half empty that we're not going to get Victor Oladipo back to what he was, you know, the, the last two seasons or his first two seasons in Indiana. I think you're spot on, and I and I, if I was Indiana, you know that's something that concerns me long term. And you and I have talked about this before, where I, you know, that the 2017-18 season, right, where his first Indiana after the after the Paul George trade, where he like he was legitimately a better player than Paul George in that season, and you had people looking around saying like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, I can't believe the Pacers got two All Stars. Uh, for Paul George, including someone who might actually be better than Paul George. But I think what we're seeing now is I, I it just it looks like that one year was a little bit of an outlier. Uh, certainly came back down to earth even before the injury. Uh, and then and then as you've just said, has not been himself at all since coming back. And if he can't get right in this time, and I understand it's a little bit different because you're not you know, you're not going into a facility. You're not getting treated on, uh, worked on every day, and, and you know, going through the the typical rounds that you might during recovery. So it's it's a little bit different than you know, had it just been a normal off season where you're where you're able to get that regular treatment and be putting in the work. But I'm with you. It's concerning if if you're the Pacers, and you know, on the other side, you know, if you just talked about wanting to to sort of keep that glass half full, this does give them an opportunity now to really see what DeMontis Sabonis could do. Like, there there are no more questions. Like, it's his team, right? Because there was always that lingering uh, tension that once Oladipo came back, whose team was it going to be? Is it was it was it going to be his again? Or were they going to sacrifice touches to, to try to to try to work him back into shape? And and now with him out, there is no doubt anymore that this is all it's the DeMontis Sabonis show uh, in Indiana. And I do wonder if potentially we could be in store for a little bit of a, com- a, a coming out party for the casual fan, similar to how Nikola Jokic uh, balled out in last year's playoffs. I do wonder if there's a world now in which Sabonis uh, is the is the one player more more than anyone else that really turns heads and surprises a lot of people. Yeah, that should be interesting as uh, those two star players, Victor Oladipo and Bradley Beal, now not going to Orlando. Maybe that does open the door for, as you said, more stars to kind of shine a little bit uh, in the eight-game scenario for both of those two teams. Uh, Diego Simeon and Jurgen Klopp, two uh, managers who I wish who I wish Arsenal had uh, right now, but they don't. Uh, and... They have done an incredible job with both of their squads. Of course, Liverpool just finally hoisted the Premier League Championship uh, last week, I believe, around this time. There's a big celebration. Made me sick to my stomach to see all those Liverpool fans on on social media celebrating the victory like they had anything to do with it. But that's another story for a different day. But what you can do is head on over to Sound System FC right now in iTunes and listen to the show Uh surrounding those two great managers, Simeon and Klopp, who have done an incredible job with both of their clubs. Sound System FC is back. Football is back. Soccer is back. And you need Sound System FC in your life to keep up to date with everything going on. Micah, we uh, we got some news. Not really news, but uh, if you're a betting 
betting person. It would be news to you. The NBA Finals odds, the updated NBA Finals matchups odds, uh, were put out there. And, of course, no surprise, the betting money says that the Los Angeles Lakers and the Milwaukee Bucks will meet into the will meet in the finals, regardless of what happens. And I think a lot of people, you know, even if we had a regular regular season, so to speak, and a regular playoff run, a lot of people would expect those two teams to meet in the finals based off the way they were playing around the time that we stopped action. Uh, some people would say the Clippers. Maybe, maybe not, but the Bucks for sure in the Eastern Conference, and it would have been a toss-up between either LA team. I know you said the Clippers, I said the Lakers, but the most likely matchup, according to Vegas right now, is the Lakers-Milwaukee Bucks, and uh, we're here to kind of tell you why that won't happen on this very edition of the NBA Sound System. Micah, why won't the Lakers make the finals this season? Man, I just I, I I really need to hop into the DeLorean and go back to February and just apologize to you because uh, what I was making fun of you fast and furious for overstating the importance of Avery Bradley for the Lakers in the moment. And I just looking looking closer at who's actually on the Lakers team and who they're going to be relying on. Man, I, the guards really concern me and I, it's a really glaring hole. Uh, for a team that fancies itself as you know not only not only a contender but perhaps the leading contender, uh, so I, I, it starts with the guard play, uh, and I'm and I'm just I don't know if they're going to have enough in the backcourt. Is there a, is there a team that you can think of off the top of your mind right now that had this thin of a guard situation that was even mentioned in the conversation to getting to the finals in either conference? I I immediately think about and it's a little bit different because d wade was still d wade at the time but i immediately think about the heat uh with bosch lebron and and and, and d wade and granted d wade obviously a hall of fame guard at the time but when you look beyond that you're look you're asking mario chalmers who we didn't know much beyond his big shot in college from that at that point and then it was mike bibby and then it was who yeah <laughs> i don't know it is uh <laughs> I, 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 I'm scratching my head here. I, I don't know. Uh, the team, the team that I keep coming back to is it, it reminds me a little bit of, of 2015 after Kyrie Irving got hurt late in game one and Cleveland basically right. just had to roll the rest of the NBA finals, throw on Matthew Delvadova and Shumpert <laughs> and, you know, old Mike Miller and the, you know, dusted off James Jones one more time. Um, because it really is like, they're going to be starting, you know, Danny Green is of a, a good player. Like Danny Green is a solid player that you would trust in a big spot. But Danny Green also, I think, is is far from a given. He only shot 17% from three in that series against the Milwaukee Bucks last year in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, you know, he's lucky that that Raptors team had a bunch of other good shooters. But like, if Danny Green shoots 17% from three over an entire series for the Lakers, like they might be toast because they don't have anyone else, right? Like you're, you're looking yeah. at, okay, we signed J.R. Smith, who, well, congratulations. He, he played 11 games last year, right? Is it is it Alex Caruso? Are you really ready to turn the keys over to him? And then you, you know, you I know that Rajon Rondo has this uh, long, illustrious sort of resume. Carlin, have you looked at what the Lakers do with whenever they have Rondo on the floor? It's, it's awful. Uh, 
Their net rating is over eight points worse whenever he's on the floor uh, than when he's on the bench. That's the worst on the team. And even if you just look at times when LeBron and Anthony Davis uh, have been playing with Rondo, even those combinations have been uh, just bludgeoned uh, to the tune of, of what you'd expect from a lottery team. So I just, they, they really, this is a team that I actually think in these first eight games, they have to figure out some type of, of semblance of a backcourt rotation. Otherwise, I don't know, they're, they're one cold spell away from, from being knocked out early, in my opinion. Can you still see them getting there, and then when they get there, they just, just they, like, destruct, self-destruct? Or is Anthony Davis and LeBron James that good that we're, we're just overlooking how bad the, that point guard situation is? Or not even just point guard, but just guard it, situation, because you mentioned it's Andy just guard. It's just guard, because you look at, like, I, I just... I don't, I, it was a concern for me entering the year, right? And then they, they get off to this incredible hot start and you're like, okay, they're, they're probably going to be fine. And, and look like KCP, I, you know, he's, he's fine, whatever. I mean, he's been in his, he's been in the playoffs one time in his career and he got swept by LeBron in the first round. There's just, there just isn't anything there in the backcourt. And then the, the other sort of options that they have are what, what are we going to play? We're going to play Kyle Kuzma at shooting guard and go tell him to go hunt shots. Are we going to like every, I think honestly, if you were to line up and rank every player on the Lakers, they're all power forwards or centers, right? Like their best five yeah. players are probably Le- LeBron, AD, Kuzma, Dwight Howard. And it's then probably JaVale McGee or Danny Green, but I don't know. It, that's, it's a really, really shallow group for a team that I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I just I cannot remember a team winning a title with guards this bad. I, I'm I've been on the Lakers the entire year. Um, I'm slowly starting to slip off that bandwagon if I'm not already off of it. I, I really and truly believe, and the way that I think the league is being covered, and and as we said, the, the Lakers and Bucks are the most likely matchup according to Vegas. I just feel like the Clippers are getting so disrespected at this point, and they haven't. I mean, they're still a really good basketball team with probably, arguably, the best player in the league on the team. And, and I am starting to lean towards the Clippers. I think the Orlando situation might actually work out in their favor if they play the Lakers in a seven-game series. Because I truly believe if it was, that was a Sable Center, it would be seven home games for the Lakers, and that would have made a difference. The Clippers won't even have to deal with that anymore. It's just going to be them against the world, and the world's not going to be there to, to cheer for the Lakers. Yeah. So. I, I I'm starting to lean towards the Clippers. I'm I'm we're, we're there's plenty of room on the bandwagon. You're welcome to hop on at any point in time. That's that's a, a spot that I've been reserved for all season long. I do think it's worth pointing out too. Like, look, what we just talked about if if the Lakers if it's going to happen for the Lakers, it's going to be because LeBron and AD uh, just lifted the world on their on their shoulders. Look, when the Lakers by the time the Lakers play their first game, it will have been 142 days uh, since March 10th, which is which is the last time that they played a game, okay? To give you some perspective, uh, there were between game four of the 2018 finals, which was LeBron's last game in Cleveland, and then the, the his first game with the Lakers, the start of the next season, that was 132 days. So it's literally <laughs> been an entire off season. It's been longer than a normal LeBron off season, and so he's just going to have to show up from day one, ready to rock. He had a uh, quote back in March on the road trip and podcast with Richard Jefferson said, quote, 
My body was like, hey man, what the hell is going on? It's March 13th. You're getting, re- you're getting ready for the playoffs. Why are you shutting down right now? I was right there turning the corner. I feel like I was rounding third base, end quote. And like, it's impossible. I like, I don't ever want to be the one to bet against LeBron. He's proven time and again that just the, the rules of father time that apply to every other human just don't apply to LeBron. But like, at some point, uh, the, the check's going to come due. And it's just, it's a lot to ask for someone uh, in his 17th season to basically just pick right up after an entire off season in the middle of the season and just go for broke. So we'll see. I, I don't know, but I, I don't feel good about the Lakers right now. I know, I know that athletes are creatures of habit and they perform their best when they have a routine. But a, a part of me still wonders how it's not a benefit to LeBron to have played as little amount of basketball as he has the last two years and not be able to then flip the switch and get it going for a short window. We're asking him to do it for two months and a half after, as you said, an offseason, whereas in the past, he would have had to do this for those two months and a half, but he would have already went through a five-month season or, or, or at least with the traveling and everything else and have to do that in the playoffs. It's, it's hard for me to really, really, truly grasp that he will sit in Orlando and have as, you know, be as comfortable as he could possibly be in that bubble, play basketball, go back to being in that bubble with the zero dark 30 and everything else, and, and just relax and not worry about anything other than basketball for two and a half months, how that won't be a benefit for him with his body being fresh as he as he would have had he came off of an entire offseason. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I still think oh, that we're going to get I, peak LeBron. The one one thing that I do think that is is worth uh, mentioning here, so LeBron is, is, you know, perhaps more than any player in the history of the league is famous for taking care of his body, right? The, the guy does maintenance. I think there was a Brian Windhorst piece back in 2016 that estimated that LeBron spends about one and a half million dollars per year just taking care of himself. Uh, there was a 2018 in a, in a Business Insider article talked about how he his his entire house is essentially a lab of scientists that help him stay fit. He's got a former Navy SEAL who served as a bio a biomechanist, a recovery coach. He has personal chefs and masseuses. And in his house, he has a full gym and an ice tub and a hot bath and his own hyperbaric chamber. And like, I don't know, there's the, the, the going from that to going to staying in a hotel in, in Disney World for three and a half months is a pretty big drop off. And I, I don't know, I would, I would just wonder if it's even reasonable to expect without all of that for LeBron to still find a way to get it done. So we'll see. But I, I look, he was he was playing as well as he has the entire year. Uh, right up until this happened, he was basically a 28, 10, and 10 over the last 15 games of the year. So uh, I don't know. I just, I, I have my doubts about the Lakers. I get, the, I get the house part, but he wouldn't have had that stuff anyway if he was traveling in the playoffs. I just think that, you know, you could, I'm not saying he's going to bring home, that stuff right? with him. He's not packing it with him on the road to, to Orlando. But I'm saying there's there's ways that he can be made. He's, they're going to figure out a way to make him comfortable is all I'm saying. He's not going to be in the WNBA situation that we see following on, on Twitter with, with worms on the floor. I, I guarantee you that. Uh, it, the other side of things is the Milwaukee Bucks matchup. Um, I don't think that they're going to make the finals. All right, I, I just don't. 
think that they're going to make the finals for a couple of reasons. One, I still need to see, uh, and I know that Giannis has done great job, a great, great job of finding ways to score outside of the paint. He's worked on his jump shot. And for me, it's not really just working on it, but it's just it's just consistently taking them to force the defense to do something else other than sag off of them. They have the team around him, the perfect team around him to to, to create a matchup and, and a floor spacing scenario to, to limit teams from sagging off of him. They've done a great job with that system in the regular season. But in the playoffs, when you've seen it four or five times, you're going to get used to it. We saw that last year with the Raptors. Nick Nurse threw some things at them. And the, the Milwaukee Bucks weren't able to kind of adjust. I know that Giannis is different. I'm worried about the rest of the team being different and able and being able to react to that. And also, obviously, he's not going to have Kawhi Leonard guarding him. I get that. But I, I just, like I said, I, I'm worried about the rest of the team kind of figuring that out. But when you look at it on, on the whole, uh, I, I really think that this comes down to Mike Budenholzer and the coaching job that he does. I, I think Mike Budenholzer is a good coach. Not a great coach. He's a good coach. But he's also watched, you know, four NBA championships. He's been a part of that with the San Antonio Spurs. He watched Greg Popovich, you know, orchestrate a, a team and build a team and win in different ways. But he hasn't been able to translate that to his own experience. He hasn't been able to figure out how to roll with the punches. And this is a season where you're going to have to roll with the punches a lot more than any other season in NBA history. And then this is where I think that Mike Boonozer and the Bucks will fail. He hasn't shown us in the past that he's been able to adapt to change. He hasn't shown us in the past that he's been able to flip his game plan on its head in, in, in the blink of an eye. He's a guy that has a system. They stick to it. It's a good system. It works for them in the regular season. But come playoff time, when teams start to throw jabs into it, it's not going to work out. 2015 with the Atlanta Hawks, 60-win season. They had an incredible year. They run into LeBron James in the Eastern Conference Finals, and he sweeps them with a team that really, on paper, really wasn't all that good. We just talked about the team that, that, that you know that LeBron James carried to the finals and, and who was on it uh, by the time that they got there. That team wasn't all that good. For them to not win a single game, I, I think I'm pointing to Mike Boonehoser and saying, come on, you have to win at least one game with home court <laughs> advantage. That Hawks team had 60 wins. For them to go out the way they did was, was an embarrassment. And then last year, again, a great team that he was able to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. They go up 2-0, and then Nick Nurse throws him a couple curveballs, and he was not ready to handle it. I, I'm afraid that we're going to get into another situation this year in the playoffs where Mike Budenholzer is going to stick to his guns. He has his system. He has his guys that he likes to play. We know that you know Giannis is leading the team in minutes. We know that Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe are going to be you know they're two and three on the team, but it's going to come down to to to, to Eric Bledsoe for me and Donovan DiVincenzo, who has shown us all year long uh, that he is ready for the big time. And Mike Boonehoser, for whatever reason, just hasn't played him a ton in the regular season. Uh, and, uh, unless there was an injury, and you know, Devin just started 22 games. He's a better clutch player than Eric Bledsoe. He's shown that over the, over the season. Uh, I'm just afraid that when push comes to shove, Mike Budenholzer is going to look down at his bench. He's going to say, "I'm going with Eric Bledsoe because I'm loyal. I don't want to be second guessed. I don't want to have to face the scrutiny uh, if I if I make a decision that's outside of the box." And that's going to be the downfall for the Milwaukee Bucks. Mike Budenholzer needs to get out of his box and 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 make the tough decisions. And some of them may have to be playing Divincenzo, who's earned it this season, over Eric Bledsoe. 
Wow, you, you gonna come up for air at any point in time, there, big boy? <laughs> <laughs> I had to get off I my think, chest. Uh, Wait a little while, time for us. Uh, apparently. Apparently, apparently you do. You're going into the 2016 Hawks and getting swept and <laughs> winning 60. And oh man, that was great. No, I I think you're right. I think that the spotlight is going to be on Eric Bledsoe, uh, just tremendously. And and again, I I don't think it's I don't think it's uh, you know possible to understate the importance that Malcolm Brogdon had uh, on that team last year. Obviously, he's not there anymore. And look, I I do think though that this is a Deeper and better Bucks team, certainly more experienced than the one that fell on their uh, on their face a little bit last year. I think that they will take that. It'll be a learning experience. I mean, you mentioned Dante DiVincenzo. Pat Connaughton's been much better. Uh, I think Brooke Lopez has really not shot the ball well uh, the entire year, but it remains, you know, one of the has probably had one of the, the five or six best years defensively of anyone in the league. And I I look at Chris Middleton. Uh, as a guy too that I think throughout this season uh, has shown that when he when called upon to be the guy, uh, specifically in those moments when Giannis is not playing, he's delivered and then some. He's been great. Uh, you look at his per thirty six minutes out there. Whenever he's on the floor without Giannis, he's like thirty one eight and five. I mean, it's a legitimate All NBA performer. He's been a fifty forty ninety guy the entire season. I I just I think that we had last year's uh you know stumble against toronto not happen and it it did happen right but had that not happened uh and they had gone on to win win the nba title and the bucks were sitting here chasing a second straight title i think we would be looking at this team as far and away the favorites uh to win the whole thing and i i i think i would push back on you a little bit i i think that the bucks are massive favorites to come out of the east and uh, I'd be I'd be stunned, quite honestly, uh, if they don't. I would be. They should be massive favorites to come out of the East. I agree with you there. The talent level, everything they've done in this regular season, and even I'll even throw in last season as well. Everything they've done last season tells me that they should be in the playoffs, or they should be in the finals rather. But you just brought up Donovan DiVincenzo and, and, and Pat Connaughton being good this season. <laughs> they are the two best clutch players in on the team this year in terms of net rating. Them two, those two guys, two best on the team this year. They have played less minutes than Eric Bledsoe and George Hill on average in the clutch. And that's that's where I, I really find a, a head scratcher where Mike Budenholz is going to look at his, his situation and he's going to roll with what he knows. And in the playoffs, time and time again, we've seen teams that are able to adapt be able to win championships, and I'm just afraid that Bud is not going to be able to pull the trigger on a big choice or a big move because he strikes me as a guy that doesn't want to be second-guessed or and is afraid to face that sort of criticism if he doesn't play his quote-unquote starters or his quote-unquote guys or, or the guys would experience. This is a playoff run where you're going to have to think on the fly. You're going to have to throw things at the wall and hope it sticks because no one's seen anything like this before. And I don't know that he's going to be equipped to do that. I it's a it's a valid concern, and everything that you said is spot on. He is his track record uh, does not uh, really glowingly support him here uh, in this manner. I, I just I think that Giannis has just graduated to another level where I, I just I think it's his time uh, to be to be in the NBA Finals. I think it'd be a little bit different if he was sharing a conference with. 
Kawhi or LeBron or a healthy Kevin Durant or somebody that could really push him, I don't think that that player uh, exists in the Eastern Conference. And I think that we're going to see with this Bucks team, despite everything that you just said, I think it's not that far different than when LeBron's Cavs teams just kept making the finals every year because no one else in the East uh, could, could come close to matching LeBron individually. I think that that's what we're going to see happen uh, here with the Bucks in, in Orlando and Giannis. Here's a question for you, for you before we move on to sleepers, uh, sleepers that we think might make the finals this year. It, we can agree that it's going to be an absolute failure if this Bucks team doesn't make the finals. There's no debate there. But if they make the finals but don't win the championship, is it a fail season? I don't think so. Um, I, I think that I, I think that it's it's a, it, I, I think finals are bust in terms of making it there feels appropriate for this team, especially just considering the lay of the land. Now, uh, you know, w- would I feel differently if the Philadelphia 76ers would have come out uh, and you know played up to par and, and had the, the great season and been the team that many of us thought they would be? Then I think maybe you're looking at it where it's, it's not finals or bust. But like if they if they reach the championship and then they you know they they lose to the Clippers or the Lakers or even you know the Rockets or whoever, I I think it would be hard to it would be hard to pin that uh, as a failure for a team that is clearly trending up with Giannis who's just now uh, entering his prime. So uh, no, I don't think it would be a failure if they get there and lose. Okay. I, I I don't know. I it, I think it depends on on the way they lose in the finals. I agree with you that you know it, I don't I wouldn't crush them if they got there and lost to the Clippers or the Lakers. But if they get swept in the finals, I I would be looking a little weird at uh, at the, the Milwaukee Bucks in their situation. The one yeah the one thing that is different like and I I was uh, reading someone the other day and basically said well you know LeBron got swept the first time he got to the finals well but that. That Cavs team like wasn't ready for prime time. Like that Cavs team right. wasn't supposed to be in the finals. That it's that's apples and oranges. This is a Bucks team built to win right now. They literally just signed both Bledsoe and Middleton to big deals uh, for the sole purposes of of they think okay like we finally have our ideal team. We're ready to win now. So if they can't get over the hump yet again, you know I. We could we could do an entire podcast on what that would mean for for next year and and Giannis's impending free agency and yada yada yada, uh, but I I don't know I, I they they probably can't get swept I think that that would be a disappointment but I, I don't foresee that happening. I don't know that you can't make that Cavs and Bucks comparison. Whoever wrote that needs to stop. Go delete that off the internet. <laughs> I mean the Cavs weren't even supposed to make the finals. We were all shocked when LeBron went crazy in in Detroit. We were supposed to wait a couple of years before LeBron got to that point to get a team to the finals. Everyone was 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 losing their minds the fact that they bought they beat Detroit the way that they beat them to get to the finals. No one was expecting them to win a quarter against the San Antonio Spurs. So that's a completely different than uh, than the Bucks situation. You're absolutely right about that. Uh, we have sleepers of, of two teams, not two teams that we think are going to make a run to the playoffs, not two teams that we think might upset one round, two teams that we think have a chance of making the NBA finals and shocking the world. Do you want to go first or should I? I want you to say you take it away. I went first last time. I, I am going with a team in the Eastern Conference that I think a lot of people are looking down on or not even not even mentioning right now, and that is the Miami Heat. I, I really and truly believe that the Miami Heat are a team uh, that are you know, they're sleepers because no one's talking about them, but they, they have a team built for 
uh, a playoff run. And when you look at teams in NBA history that make the finals or win the championship, you want one of two things. You want a team with an identity and you want a team that can play defense. And we know every Eric Spolster team is going to play defense, no matter who's on it. Secondly, this team actually has an offensive identity that we can look and, and, and really point to that could be successful in the playoffs. And that's three-point shooting, and that's ball movement. That's the game plan. That's what they do. The Heat are top 10 in three-point attempts. They're first in three-point percentage. Uh, and, and, you know, when you, when you have that sort of ratio – the old perception was if you shoot a lot of threes, you don't get to the foul line. Well, the Houston Rockets, they've already killed that myth uh, playing the game and the style of game that they play. The Miami Heat are in that class too. Like I said, they're top 10 in three-point attempts. They're top four in free throw attempts themselves. So they're getting to the line. They're finding ways to get there. The one difference between them and the Houston Rockets is that this Heat team, offensively, they move the ball. Houston is you know, second to last in assists per game. The Miami Heat are top five in assists, and they have seven players right now on their roster that are averaging double figures in scoring. So they can move the ball around. They find different players. Everybody knows their role, and they have one legitimate closer in Jimmy Butler who is still right now He's not shooting the greatest from the field in terms of clutch situations, but that's because he's getting to the foul line instead. He's still finding a way to be productive in clutch situations. Jimmy Butler is the guy. And then you have two huge pieces that I think you know most people kind of look down upon when they pick them up, and that's Andre Iguodala, who was sitting on his couch doing not much, and he's not going to be a guy that's going to turn into the finals MVP version of himself, but... He's another body that you can throw at the Giannis's of the world, that you can throw at the Ben Simmons's of the world, the Jason Tatum's of the world for minutes at a time to allow Jimmy Butler to rest on defense. And if that doesn't work out for them, they have Jay Crowder, who is another good defender in the mold of Andre Iguodala, probably not as good offensively as he was in his prime, but he's still a guy that you can throw bodies at, the, the, the great wing players out east where, where Jimmy Butler doesn't have to guard uh, and, and do things on both ends of the floor. I, I think this Miami Heat team has enough to beat you, whether they're big or small. Uh, you know, Miles Leonard is, is is a guy that you could kind of chase off the floor, but they've been pretty productive when they started Derrick Jones Jr. in the front court instead of Miles Leonard and, and having Bam play the five. And, and without Jimmy Butler on the floor, when you play Jay Crowder and Andre Iguodala on the floor together, they still have enough wing power there to be productive as a unit. So this is a team where I think not many people are paying attention to, but they can match up against pretty much anybody in the Eastern Conference. They have a guy. They have guys that they can guard at the wing position, and that's what you need if you want to make the finals. I think you're spot on. I, I think that's a great call, uh, and it, it pains me that I didn't think of it first because they really do. They, they they check a lot of the boxes that you look for exactly what you were talking about with teams that have a, a, a way that's going to translate it come playoff time. I also think, look, what we're going to see happen down here in, in Orlando, just given the sheer uncertainty of everything going on, we have no idea what's going to happen, right? With all these unknown variables introduced into the mixing pot, uh, you know, something absolutely insane could happen. Uh, and so if the Milwaukee Bucks do stub their toe or the Toronto Raptors do go 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 cold or Jason Tatum isn't all of a sudden this, uh, you know, glorious first team all NBA type superstar, I think the Miami Heat 
are a team uh, that are ready to to kind of seize the opportunity. You know, I love you know I love my quirky individual, uh, you know, very circumstantial stats. Uh, <laughs> I got I got one for you that I, that I looked up. Uh, as it relates to the heat that I think okay. that, that certainly caught caught me off guard and this has been one, one of my uh one of, this is one of the drums I've been beating with the Dallas Mavericks the whole year but it rings true for the Miami Heat as well so if you look at points per play off of a made basket so after allowing a make so basically you're uh playing against the set defense essentially Miami's got the third best offense in the entire league on a points per play basis when you look at it through that lens uh, but they're also doing it playing one of the league's slowest paces. Which, yeah. As we know, the game slows down come playoff time. So they're a team that can execute in the half court. And look, much has been made about how the, the fact that Jimmy Butler all of a sudden uh, can't make a jump shot to save his life. Despite that, the Miami Heat ranks second in the NBA this season uh, in three-point percentage on catch and shoots. And they're also getting Tyler Hero back. Uh, as well as Myers Leonard, two other guys who can bomb it from deep. So I think the combination of their identity, I think Jimmy Butler is uh, is certainly a 16-game player in the words of Draymond Green. Bam's taking a step. You mentioned Iguodala and Crowder. They got bodies to throw big wings. And then between Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson and Kendrick Nunn, they got some shooting. I, I think that's a good call. I, I like the pieces that Miami has uh, there to, to sort of be a dark horse like a dark horse real contender, not just dark horse, as you said. Hey, went around and, and pushed push someone good to seven, you know? Yeah, and I, I think, you know, going through and looking at some of the numbers, I think Derek Jones Jr., people forget about him because they just look at him as a, as a dunk contest sort of guy. He's a pretty good defender. Uh, when you Right behind Jimmy Butler and right behind Bam Adebayo, he's third in team in, in terms of deflections. He's going to be able to, I think he's, I think he, he has more uh, charges taken than, than Jimmy Butler. He, he's, he's contesting more shots than Jimmy Butler. He's a guy that he's going to get out and, 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 and as you know, as athletic as, as all heck. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's going to get up and, and, and block shots at the rim. So you're not losing a lot with him when you play him in the front court. And then the last one is we know that the Heat have this crazy sort of uh, conditioning routine that might actually work out for them in this situation. They can't show up out of shape in, in regular circumstances. You think Pat Riley is going to allow them to show up out of shape heading into Orlando? They're going to be ready from day one more than any other team. It's not going to be no easing into it. Dude. They're going to be ready to go. I have a question for you with them. Do does the uh, does the lack of success away from home worry you at all? Because they're they're twenty seven and five at home, just fourteen and nineteen away. And I know that these these games in Orlando are not road games, uh, but they're certainly not home games. Does that disparity kind of strike you as as potentially alarming? Not at all, because they're, they're going to be in the state. They're going to be as close to home as the as as any other team in in the NBA, and they're going to be have you know they're going to have an opportunity really uh, to showcase you know what they've shown all season when they were healthy. I think they took a step back when they lost Tyler Hero and obviously Miles Leonard to injury, and people sort of forgot about them. But this was a team that was close to second place in the Eastern Conference when they were fully healthy, and we've seen them beat the big guns on the big stage. They played the Lakers tough. Uh, on on an ESPN national televised game, I know they lost that one, but they ple- they beat the Milwaukee Bucks at full strength uh, when and the last time they played on a nationally televised game. And in close games, uh, they've been six and three. So th- this is a team that I, I really think that they have 
like I said, a system in place. They're going to go out and, and shoot the three, move the ball, get to the line, and then they always defend hard. And, and the addition of Iguodala, who I myself overlooked because I said, you know what, he's washed up, I'm not going to give you much. He doesn't have to give you much. He just has to give you maybe 10, 15 minutes a game to allow Jimmy Butler to, to have that break. And in the playoffs, you have Eric Spolstra, Jimmy Butler, Jay Crowder, and and, uh, and Andre Iguodala, those four guys, those four great defensive minds sitting there watching tape because there's not going to be anything else to do to figure out a way to <laughs> stop great players. That that's a good that's a good problem to have. That is a good problem to have. I, look, I, I I'm not gonna get I'm not gonna get on you for overlooking the addition of Andre Iguodala because I completely overlooked it, and I'm still not I'm still not ready to admit that. That's going to be much of a of a difference maker on the floor, but it certainly can't hurt. Uh, I'm just weary of of how big of an impact can they actually expect from Iguodala. But that again, that's that's neither here nor there. That's that's further on down the down the line. Right. Who do you have? Uh, so there's a team that I, I think has been disrespected uh, a little bit too much since the beginning of the season, uh, and no one just once again refuses to take them seriously. Uh, and it's the Denver Nuggets who are third in the Western Conference, and yet I think most people view as as if not the the fourth, then maybe even like fifth most likely team to come out of the West. I, I think that people are viewing uh, the Houston Rockets as a much more dangerous team uh, than the Denver Nuggets. Who, by the way, if the, if if they just picked up and started with the playoffs, that would be a first round matchup, uh, Denver and Houston. One of the things that I'm looking forward to and. You know, we, we just saw that we talked earlier about how, uh, you know, Bradley Beal will not be with the Wizards. Obviously, that's not related to uh, the coronavirus. But I do think that uh, the situation at hand and the circumstances under which we're going to attempt to play this thing out uh, benefits the teams that are deep and have lots of bodies uh, and have can get some scoring from a bunch of different places. It can give you different looks. And I think that the Nuggets are among the deepest teams uh, in the entire league. And I think that if there's any team uh, that is able to sort of withstand having one or two or potentially three guys, uh, you know, have to have to essentially not play uh, should anything happen for a couple of weeks at a given time. I think that the Nuggets are, are a team well positioned to sort of weather the storm should anything happen. And I, look, it's the elephant in the room, but we can't, I mean, we're, we can't just pretend like COVID-19 is not a thing anymore. Uh, and so look, there's a real, there's a real chance uh, that players are going to catch it and have to miss games, right? And have to quarantine for, for two weeks. Uh, and should that happen, I just think that the Nuggets are positioned as a deep team. Uh, that can lean on a generational superstar because that's what Nikola Jokic proved uh, that he that he has been all year. Uh, he was great in last year's playoffs, uh, and I, I just I like Denver. I, I think that Denver is a team um, that yeah the, the first six weeks of the season they ranked first in the NBA in defensive efficiency. The last six weeks of the season they ranked first in the NBA in offensive efficiency. So they they've kind of. At different points of the season, they have one doing it differently on both ends of the floor. It's just a matter of can they put it all together. And I I think that they have a greater chance of doing that than people are giving them credit for. 
I agree with you on Denver. I, I like Denver uh, a lot, and and I think this actually pay, plays into their favor uh, of of the of the scenario that we're in in terms of they don't have to travel, they don't have to go on the road because they're a better home team than they are a road team. We know that historically that's always been the case. But the the thing that you bring up uh, that that scares me and worries me a little bit about Denver is the inconsistency, and that could be one of two things. It could be a is that a product of the fact that they're young, their team is young, like their core is very young, their leaders are young, so you get that with a young core, or, and this is where I'm leaning more towards, is that a product of just tuning your head coach out? And that's Mike Malone, who's been there <laughs> since 2015, and I, this sticks out to me because he, he was here in, in, in Charlotte, and, uh, and and the Hornets, or sorry, the, the, uh, the Nuggets were in town for their one trip a year, and the the pregame press conference, he was calling his team out uh, for their lack of consistency. And they almost lost the game to the Hornets. And then he went again and kind of went at them again for, for the lack of consistency and, and basically said that they know what they have to do. It's really up to them to do it. And when you hear coaches say that, especially to the media, that's not the first time that the team's hearing that. Uh, by that, by the time it gets to us, by the time it gets to us in the press conference and, and to the fans, ultimately, the, the players have heard that already 15, 20 times this season. And the last resort is to speak out and try and embarrass them in, in the, through the media and really call them out. And, and once it gets to that point, you have to wonder how much of that voice is starting to kind of go through one ear and through the other. And it's not an indictment on his coaching ability. That's just the fact that he's been there for so long and they've heard the same things over and over and over again. Uh, I, I wonder if that is it, it might be the reason why they're a little bit inconsistent up and down. You're, you're big on the coaches here. You're going in on Mike Budenholzer and Malone, and you're you're talking about the, the, how Eric Spolster is going to lead the Miami Heat to the NBA title. I am big on the coaches. The co- I'm always big on the coaches. The co- you are. You're big on coaches and divisions. <laughs> I am big on divisions. The, the divisions won't matter this time around. But that. But I, I just bring you know, that up because I, a lot of people wouldn't, wouldn't wouldn't hear Mike Malone speak in the media too often. And the one time that he had his opportunity to speak, you know, at length, he even went over his allotted 15 minute time to 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 really go at his team about their lack of effort and beating teams that they quote unquote should beat. His whole thing was they, they get up for games against the Milwaukee Bucks and the Lakers, but they play down to the competition against the Hornets. And is that a young team? Thing? Or is that you just tuning your coach out, sort of thing? I wonder. No, I I, I think that the uh, the concern over over Mike Malone is is a valid one. Uh, look, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if if ultimately that's going to be kind of the deciding factor. Could it be one of the four or five biggest factors? Sure, I I, I think that that's that's fair. Uh, but you know, more I'm more the the one big wild card for me, and it, it just it continues to be Jamal Murray, who they just need him to be more aggressive as a number two guy. Uh, you know, I, I talked earlier about how one of the reasons that I really like Denver is because of the depth. It's just different guys stepping up. Uh, but they need Jamal Murray to step up. I think they need to just him to take it up another notch. Uh, it's not enough for him to be an 18, 19 point. Uh, game and I'd score, you know, especially when when those moments when Nikola Jokic goes to the bench, it needs to be the Jamal Murray show. Uh, and from what we've seen this season from him, he really, he basically has not changed 
his aggression at all uh, in those moments that he's played without Jokic. You look at his stats, they're they're pretty similar across the board in terms of getting to the line, the number of shots that he takes, how much he's scoring. So that he's the one guy I think that could really put Denver over the top and, and really have them enter that conversation. Eventually, it's going to be Michael Porter Jr., but he's not quite ready, I don't think, yet to be that massive difference maker that I think Jamal Murray uh, is capable of having that type of impact right now. If he brings you the same sort of production, Jamal Murray, I'm talking about, if he brings you the same sort of production that he brought last year in the playoffs where he upped his scoring average, uh, you know, shot decently from the field, got to the line, is that sort of the, the production you're looking for or is that you're looking for even more of a, of a boost uh, in, in terms of the way he played last playoff run? I mean, it's, look, he, he played well last year, but I think even, even in that, we kind of saw uh, the warts stick out a little bad. It was just up and down, up and down, up and down. I mean, you saw it in the Portland series, and you really saw it in that first-round series against San Antonio, which, you know, had it not been for Jamal Murray just going unconscious in the fourth quarter, uh, you know, they would have they would have fallen down, I, I believe, into a 2-0 hole or uh, against, against 3-1. San, 3-1. It would have been 3-1. Yeah against San Antonio. So uh, I, it's, it's just I, the overall stats are fine if, if he were to do what he did last year, but it's just getting it night in, night out. It's it's knowing that, hey, for seven games, I'm going against C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard. One of those guys is going to have a really good game. So I need to be that good every single time, night in, night out, consistently there to back up Nikola Jokic, who... He put that team on his back, and I think that he responded in a way that I'm not sure that there was anyone out there quite ready for the way in which Nikola Jokic uh, performed last season. And so, you know, I, I look at Jamal Murray as sort of, okay, now it's your turn to step up and prove that you have what it takes uh, to sort of be the Robin that Batman needs there in Denver. It's funny. When you go on, you, you can go on Jamal Murray's stat page and you look at the numbers that he put up last playoff run, especially against Portland, where your memory thinks that he was bad, but the numbers say that he was pretty good. But the, the main thing is I agree with you. He did have decent numbers and he didn't have, you know, he didn't put up bad numbers against Portland. The problem was it was the moments, is the moments and when he was putting up those numbers. And that's what you need uh, in the playoffs, especially if you're going to be a 1B, which is a lot like Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton has decent numbers in the playoffs, but it's the moments and when he has those types of, you know, of big time plays, the all-star plays, when Giannis is sitting on the bench. For Jamal Murray, when Jokic is sitting on the bench, what does he do? When is when is that momentum shifting bucket coming, or when is that run stopping buck run stopping bucket coming? And that's the, the the difference between the Jamal Murray's numbers that he might show versus the real impact that he had last season in the playoffs. And I agree with you. If he if he's able to find that with the same amount of production, but find those moments and when to have those big moments, I think the Denver Nuggets can make some serious noise. I, I yeah I there there might look the other two teams that I that I kind of look at is as wanting them to be the sleeper teams are, are the Mavericks and the Thunder I don't quite think that either of them uh, has enough outside of sort of the that first wave and, and run of guys but Denver I think does and uh, in particular the one guy that I think could be a major major X factor uh, for them is had. A relatively quiet year before coming on a little bit strong, before coming on stronger a little bit late, uh, is Jeremy Grant. 
uh, who, you know, all season long, Denver has been searching for somebody that they can throw at the LeBrons and the Kawhis and the Paul Georges, those those big, big forwards. I think Jeremy Grant is somebody that uh, could really prove to be uh, a really strong key asset for Denver come playoff time should they find themselves going up against uh, a one of the LA teams, or I, you know, one of one of his best games of the year came against Houston uh, when the Rockets went small ball and Jimmy Grant was able to uh, pummel him basically. So he's a guy too, uh, you know, to a lesser extent than Murray, but someone that I'm looking at as could be a, a big key difference uh, between this year and what happened last year. We're closing in on the restart of the NBA season. July 31st is when it all goes down for most teams. I think it's July 30th, right, for the two teams that or four teams that start things off on that Thursday, I believe. That is correct. Correct me if I'm wrong. All right. <laughs> so there we go. Uh, you'll see Zion. That's all that matters. Way to come in really strong. <laughs> yeah, you'll see him, you'll see him there. Uh, but that that's all we have for you today. Uh, we'll be back again at the same time right here on NBA.com across the world. 3 p.m. Eastern Time, live on NBA Sound System. Again, if you haven't, go over Sound System FC. They'll have a brand new episode. I'm sure they're going to talk about the MLS. I'm sure they're going to talk about Dallas FC pulling out of the tournament that's coming up for the MLS. That is huge, huge news. And we've talked about the players pulling out of the NBA tournament and the effects that it's happened. If you want more information on that, ca.nba.com is the place to get it. For Mike Adams, I am Carlin Gay. We'll see you next week right here on NBA Sound System Live.